As I mentioned last night, when we turn to Holy Week and we turn to these three days, the Triduum, we spend time with John, once again, the beloved disciple, the fourth gospel. We hear his telling of this story. So we will hear the same story that we heard on Sunday, told from a different vantage point, told in a different way. And I invite you, because we don't have a screen, we don't have anything, to close your eyes and to find yourself in the midst of these crowds. Hear a character and imagine yourself beside them. Allow yourself to smell and hear and taste and see what is happening. And allow this story that you have heard many, many times before come alive in a new and different way this evening. As we listen to John's telling of the passion story. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. 
Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter was also standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. And I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the police standing by struck Jesus on the face, saying, is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself still. They said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told him, I I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do what you want. Do you want me to release for you this king of the Jews? And they shouted to reply, not this man, but Barabbas. 
Now, Barabbas was a bandit. A bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him for yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you? And the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. And now when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at the place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon, He said to the Jews, here is your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. And then Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, and it was written in Latin, and it was written in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I'm the king of the Jews. 
Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. And now his tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. And they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it, see who'll get it. And this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. And meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were her mother, were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that it all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies to be left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may believe his testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. And after all these things had occurred, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Here ends the reading.
Now, of course, this story stands on its own. I don't need, and in fact, I think it's wise not to provide any extra commentary to the story that John laid out for us. I don't need to define it, but maybe what we could spend a little moment on is what to do with all of this. A couple weeks ago when I was in North Carolina, I was in um, a camp outside of Canton, North Carolina, and there's this large lake that surrounds the hills and and the mountains. And that lake at one time was a small town by the name of Sunburst. Sunburst was a mill town. There was a lot of paper milling going on in that area. And after a while, they had dammed up an area to provide a lake once all of the uh, wood had been cut. And so um, the town of Sunburst is now underwater. But what remains is up on a hill about a couple hundred feet up one of the mountains, about a half a mile hike, is an old graveyard. People that had been there in the mid-1800s all the way through right around the 1970s are buried there. I always think it's good when you find a graveyard that's kind of off the side. It's, I enjoy having a moment and walking through and looking at gravestones because they tell final stories. They remind us of what people thought of those loved ones when they buried them. And there were two headstones that particularly caught my attention. They were actually in the furthest corner that I could walk. And these folks had died, um, looked like in the the mid-teens, 1919. Couldn't make that out very well, but what I could make out was the little epitaph that was on the bottom of the headstone. And it said this, and it repeated because it was a family there, All of our joy is left now that brother has gone. All of our joy has left because mother is gone. All of our joy is left now that father is gone. Now, if I were that person that had been buried, I might consider that a compliment. But as someone in 2019, as I was staring at it amidst the beautiful, quickly changing colors, and I was watching spring come to life, I found it to be particularly tragic. How does grief overwhelm somebody that the entire understanding of joy and life itself disappears amongst death? Grief can put us in a place like a prison of empty, blank, gray sight, blinded by the darkness that surrounds us. Not unlike the veils that we see around the crosses that are hung. And we don't always like having to be in darkness any longer than necessary. So our instinct might be to head to the light as quickly as we can. We will fumble around the walls for the light switch. We'll bring the lights up just a little bit more. Because why do we want to be in darkness any longer than we have to be? 
The darkness is too foreboding. It's too difficult. But anybody who has been out in a night sky that hasn't been too polluted by the lights around knows that after time, our eyes do adjust to the darkness. We see things that we might not have seen otherwise. And so, yes, it's Friday, but oftentimes I think we want to say, but Sunday's coming, right? That Tony Campolo line, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but some Sunday's coming. And it's a great line and a great sermon. And it's true. But the downside if it's Friday, but Sunday's coming means that we skip Saturday. As if somehow we are going to wake up tomorrow and it will be Easter. We still have one day to go. We want to move quickly. We want to go back. We don't want to be in this Friday. We don't want to have to hear again the story of Jesus dying, the story of betrayal, the story of violence. We don't want to hear it again. Can we get to Easter, please, when Jesus is back alive and amongst us? Our sin and the brokenness of this world have been absolved again because Jesus comes back. We sit in the feelings of death and despair, but we hope to move to resurrection. But friends, we are Saturday people. We live in an already but not yet world. We know that Jesus will be resurrected and Jesus promised to come back, but he has not. We are Saturday people, fumbling around in a darkness, rushing quickly to find a light again. And I worry sometimes because we want to move so quickly to Sunday, move so quickly to turning on the light, that any time that we don't have that light and we head back into darkness again, it feels perpetually dark. Perpetually gray and undeveloped. And until we move past it, our lives can feel dim. as if the only thing we can do is claw around and hope for a miracle. But what if we lived in the Friday darkness? What if we steadily allowed our vision to adjust? What if instead of skipping to Sunday and breakfast and lilies and hallelujahs and amens, and he is risen indeed, we sat for a moment in this despair and this brokenness. And perhaps allowed our eyes to adjust. Could we see 
the stars of hope amidst this day, the moment where Jesus, almost dead, found ways to care for his dear family. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. Till the last, Jesus sought ways to care for those who he loved. Might we see, if we have a chance to allow our eyes to adjust the small cracks of light breaking through, Instead of always fumbling for a light, might we see that there are small glimpses of hope everywhere we look, even in this, in this already but not yet season. That each of you here, each of our friends who could not be here, are beacons of light in darkness. That if we try too hard to flip the switch, we might miss altogether. Would we not end up wishing away the now, hoping for a brighter tomorrow? Could there even be joy when our brother has gone? And so tonight and tomorrow... I invite you to be here in this darkness. To sit for a moment in the grief. However it affects you. But don't do it alone. We are not by ourselves in this darkness. Just as Mary and Mary and Mary and John were sitting together at the feet of Jesus, so we too sit together at the cross of Jesus. Jesus inviting us to care for one another. Sister, here is your brother. Brother, here is your sister. Mother, here is your son. And here is your mother. Let us together allow the darkness to fade and our eyes to adjust. And as we walk together, let us witness what we can see together. Thanks be to God.